just a few weeks ago, from March 17th through the 20th, I traveled to Toronto, Canada to do a retreat and to do some research. I went to research a man named Henry Nowen and the special needs community named Larsh Daybreak, where he spent the last few years of his life. I was surprised, however, how much I learned about life and ministry and myself along the way. So today I'm going to just tell you about that. I've been reading a number of books by Henry now, and Henry was Dutch, and he was a Catholic priest, authored a, a number of books, lived from 1932 to 1996. And over those years, he taught at the University of Notre Dame, at Yale Divinity School, and at Harvard Divinity School. He was trained as a psychologist and wrote a lot about ministry and about Christian spirituality. Uh, he was a pretty big, pretty important author and speaker and teacher, traveled a lot. Uh, but at the end of his life, decided to, the, towards the end of his life, decided to leave academia and ended up going to spend the last 10 years at L'Arche Daybreak. L'Arche is French for the Ark, and it, is it was named given by Jean Vanier, the founder of the organization, when he brought two people who had disabilities into his home. Now, at that time, in, in 1964, um, People with disabilities weren't well cared for. They were often just sort of put into institutions. A lot, of, a lot of things were not done well in those days. Fifty years later, as of last year, um, there are 147 large communities in 35 different countries. It's become a huge thing. In fact, Jean Vanier just recently won the prestigious Templeton Prize uh, for his impact on spirituality around the world. There's several near to us, in fact. There's one in Erie, one in Cleveland and Syracuse, in Washington, D.C., and I went to the one up in Toronto. Daybreak is that particular community, and it's the oldest one in North America. It started in 1969. It was then farmland, but when I went there, it was a bustling suburb of Toronto. It includes eight homes of four to five people with disabilities, adults with disabilities, um, these, these are called core members because they make up really the core of the community. And then there were assistants. There were a lot of other different people that had to live with them and take care of them. They have several day programs, including a wood shop called the Woodery and a craft studio. I went there to stay in a retreat center called the Cedars. In fact, it was the place that Henry lived a lot of the time that he was in that community. I found out later that I was actually in Henry's room, the old room he used to live in. Although they were really quick to tell me that the, all the furniture had changed, so I didn't need to steal anything. I don't know if this was a problem or not. But um, when I got to stay in the place where Henry was, each night I had dinner in one of the homes, so I got to, to be in four of the eight different homes. Uh, and during the day I went and took part in the day programs, uh, except for Thursday. And Thursday I actually went to what's called the Henry Nowen Archives. And, and uh, read a lot of his notes and sermons and things. When I first arrived, I met Tony, who was the person from the office who had coordinated my visit. We stopped off at Newhouse. Newhouse was the house that Henry actually was in when he started working there. I was greeted by John. John is an older man with Down syndrome. In fact, he's one of the oldest in the community. He's been in this community for a long, long time. And uh, when I walked in, John asked me for a business card. Okay? Older Down syndrome gentleman. Do you have a business card? 
Uh, and I could barely understand, but I got business card, and I thought, what? Like, I just drove, like, four hours. I don't have a business card, and I don't have... Um, but I was told that John collects business cards. And so uh, I went back to my room, because I had a little bit of time before dinner, and I went through all my stuff, and I finally found a business card, and I brought a business card to John, and he was so excited to add a business card to his collection. And he, he showed everybody at dinner, like every individual staff member and other person, you weren't allowed to touch the business card, but you had to look at it and read it to him if you could read. I'm pretty sure that's the house that knew my name the best, because they had all multiple times had to read my business card. Uh, it was a special dinner that night. It was St. Patrick's Day. And one of the staff members was actually an Irish Catholic priest who was over here on sabbatical. So I actually got to spend St. Patrick's Day with an Irish priest. It was a lot of fun. Um, John was showing his business card around the table, and there was a, another person with Down Center named Stephen there. And Stephen looked at my business card. It's got sort of this generic picture of like a water drop. And Stephen looked at me and said, you're a plumber. <laughs> he assumed I was a plumber. And I explained, no, I'm a pastor, you know, water of life, baptism, there's some other symbolism there. I wondered if perhaps I am kind of a spiritual plumber. Uh, but that metaphor hasn't really stuck with me. That night was special for me. It was, I was quick to understand this was a family. There were all these people living together, and, and a lot of the staff were from around the world. They weren't even Canadian or American. It was very diverse staff. Um, all these people with varying disabilities, but they were family. They helped out, they pitched in, everybody had their part to play. And I was welcome at the table. Didn't matter if I was a plumber or a pastor. Didn't matter why I was there and if I had a doctor of ministry or if I had just barely graduated from high school. I, I was welcome as I was. This is a little challenging for many of us, isn't it? It was challenging for me. Challenging because I think we spend a lot of time fronting a lot of time faking, a lot of time wearing masks, hiding our weaknesses. We often have trouble being ourselves. It's easy to impress other people. I can do it. I can play the pastor's part, hide behind my education. But I couldn't do it there. Whether I was a pastor or a plumber, I was just Jordan there. And it was a little scary, but it was also a little refreshing and freeing just to simply be myself and be present for a little while. I got to see that every night. Got to go into this community and see life that was shared, community that was deep, relationships that were intimate, people who were really authentic. They were just themselves and shared freely their life with each other. They lived together and not just next to each other. Everyone was vulnerable and raw. When Henry Nowen came to that community, he worked in that same house, new house that I spent my first night in. And his job was to take care of a man named Adam. Now, Adam was one of the most severely disabled in the community at the time. In a wheelchair, couldn't really walk, couldn't really talk. And Henry's job was to get him ready at the beginning of the day. About a two-hour-plus process. Get him out of bed, get him in the shower, get him changed, get him ready for the day, uh, get him breakfast, and then get him over to his day program. And at first, Henry, you can imagine, this strong academic, right, taught at Harvard, Yale, Notre Dame. And he's taking care of Adam. And he, he, he's not comfortable, doesn't know what to do. What, what does Adam know? What, what can Adam understand of what this interaction would be? 
But, but Henry wrote a whole book about Adam, and he said Adam really started to teach him something. Teach him about just being himself, about being present, and just focusing. In fact, Adam would often have a seizure if he was too rushed. He had a physical reaction to, to you if you were not fully present in that moment. Henry began to feel honored that he was trusted with the most delicate person in the community. Daybreak became home for Henry. And, and if, reading about his life, he, he hadn't had home. He hadn't had a closeness with people in a long time. He relaxed and became comfortable with himself in a way he had never been before. And he, he was a person that really cared about other people's opinions, tried to keep guarded around people, was very hurt if you criticized him in any way. He ended up actually having to leave the community after a little while because it was so real and it got so comfortable for him that he didn't always like the stuff that he found out about himself. He had to go away and sort of deal. He had a really kind of a, a breakdown because of this community. And yet it was in that community too that he found the closeness and support that he really needed to get through those things. We all have disabilities. We have places in our thinking and our behavior and our lives that don't work the way we're supposed to. And a lot of times we're very good at hiding. A lot of times our disabilities aren't really that visible. But sometimes when we're around people with obvious weaknesses that are comfortable with who they are, it can make us very uncomfortable with our own weaknesses. While being in a deep community can be challenging, it's also the opportunity we have to come to grips with who we really are and where we're weak. I got to see the strength of this community, particularly on Wednesday. So I came in on Tuesday, had dinner. Wednesday, I was supposed to get a tour of the facility, but something had changed in the schedule. Um, because one of the assistants, a, long, a lady who had been there a long time and was very loved, uh, had had a heart attack the weekend before and had died. And so the community came together to sort of mourn this. And they got together. It was, wasn't really a, a funeral. It was just storytelling time. And they got up and people shared stories and poems and quotes and just said, I miss you to this person that they had lost. Even several of the court members, so people with pretty severe disability, got up and spoke. And really, I, I couldn't understand all of it because I wasn't around those people all the time. And, and uh, um, they weren't always on track, right? They got a little distracted and forgot what they were talking about while they were up there. And a little excited to have a microphone at times. But it was interesting, that community, they're the core members. They're the center. And so they were allowed to have their time. That week, the, the woodery, the, the wood shop, got a coffin and um, finished it in such a way that everybody in the community could come and paint the coffin. And so all week, people from the Daybreak community came in and wrote notes, painted notes, painted pictures, so that this coffin they were preparing for Saturday's funeral that they did in that community was a reflection not only of this woman who had passed, but of the community that was left behind. Daybreak apologized for changing my schedule, but I thought it was a wonderful opportunity to see that community in action. And I tried to imagine what that service would be like in our church. Could we tell those kind of stories with raw honesty about each other? Do we even know each other well enough to have those kind of stories? As I shared dinner that night in another house, I could not help but long for that kind of closeness in my own family and in this church. On Thursday night, I took a or Thursday morning, I took a bus and the subway 
down to the University of Toronto to visit the Henry Nouwen archives. And that was really cool because I'm researching Henry, I'm getting really into to understanding his work, and I'm, I'm there reading handwritten, unpublished sermons and notes from his classes with his own little handwritten notes in the margin. I had terrible handwriting, but it was a fun day of research and reading. But, but perhaps the most interesting part of that was just the contrast of leaving this community where everything is slow and deliberate and getting on a bus where nobody looked at each other and subway where you didn't talk to people. Everybody, you talked to a person if you came with them, otherwise you just looked at your phone or the paper. Everybody's in a hurry to get everywhere. By contrast, that night at another of the homes seemed so slow and deliberate. They couldn't rush. And everybody seemed so much more of aware of each other. Two of the core members with Down syndrome that night kept hugging each other and saying they were best friends. I'm talking about six times before dinner. You go, we're best friends, and they hugged once again. And dinner was so slow, it took a while to get all the food out, to get everybody their food. Marianne, one of said hugging core members, finished her meal and then took over for one of the assistants feeding Sifu, one of the very severe handicapped people in the house. This allowed the assistant to eat his own meal, which he had been doing so slowly because he was feeding seafood. After dinner in each house, a candle was lit and everyone held hands. One person would start and then everyone at the table was allowed to say their simple prayer of thanks for whatever they wanted to say. Nothing was hurried and everyone was important. I wondered how Henry Nouwen must have felt in the tension of this, right? He's flying to go speak in South Africa, or in London, or in L.A., and then coming back to this same place. On Friday, I got to do some work in the woodery, in the wood shop. Now, it, it may seem a little bit uh, disconcerting, right, to think of a special needs population doing woodwork. Uh, but it was actually very safe. I, I did a lot of the day cutting boards with a, another gentleman. And, and to cut the boards, if the saw was here, we had to separate from each other and use both hands to get the saw to cut. So we were always away from the saw when we were cutting, always very supervised. It was actually a lot of fun. Um, I thought I was going slow, but they told me I had to slow down even more in that space. Uh, in fact, in the afternoon, I was told that I, I was given a, a stack of boards I was supposed to cut, and they said, listen, you are not allowed to finish your boards. I said, what? They know if you get done, we have to take boards from this other person. And he doesn't like it when we take boards from his staff while he's cutting because he lines them up so perfectly. So, so you've got two hours. Don't finish this stack. I've never been told not to finish work before. It's really strange for me. Fridays are a special day at the Woodery because on Fridays they go to a local restaurant called Joe's Burgers. Um, when they get there, the people at Joe's Burgers don't even need to take their order because everybody orders the same thing. They just start making the food as soon as they see who comes in the door. Now, before we went to Joe's Burgers, um, we got a number of rules uh, from the core members, and they all seem to be related to certain experiences they've had at Joe's Burgers, right? No fighting, no yelling, no talking to people we don't know, no eating other people's food. Um, you could tell, but that these were all rules that came from incidents. But there was one rule that was emphasized above all others, the most important rule, and I quote, no farting. 
I guess the grease of Joe's Burgers uh, would, had cleared out the woodery on a number of Friday afternoons after eating at Joe's Burgers. So I'm quoting. If you're offended, I'm sorry. I have to say, though, it's an important rule, having eaten at Joe's Burgers. I am glad that I did not break that rule. That Friday night at daybreak, the community gathered for worship. A number of other people from the, the local community came as well. Some of them just liked being in that community. Others were families that had people with disabilities who made a lot of noise or who uh, could be intimidating for people. And so there wasn't really a, another place for them to worship. So they came and worshiped in this community. I was asked to read the psalm that night. The sermon was given by the head of the worship team, but also with a few additional comments by John, who had my business card. Um, normally, whenever the word is proclaimed, it's proclaimed by two people in that community. One who's the pastor or whoever's speaking, and the other is somebody who's a core member who gets to share their views as well. After worship, I got in my car, drove home late that night to Erie to be with my family, to head home here on Saturday so I could preach on Sunday. I brought back a few crosses with me and some things that had been made in the craft studio. Uh, a couple of those I brought downstairs. You can see them afterwards. Even though my visit was only a few days, it's really hung on to me. It's really shaped how I think, and it's something that's sort of haunted me, like I'm thinking about it a lot. I've been thinking a lot about Matthew 18, 20, which says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And, and I've been thinking about this because it's kind of a strange verse, right? I mean, God is always with us. The Bible's really clear on that. He's always with us. So why does he say when two or three are gathered, I'm with you? I learned at my time in daybreak that God is with us in a special way when we're with each other. That in between us, as we relate to each other, as we bump up against each other, as we talk to each other, there is special space made sacred space where God can shape us. That when you and I relate to each other, God can use those interactions to shape both you and I. Of course, there's a problem, three problems, in fact, with this kind of community. Number one, this kind of community takes personal vulnerability. It's not easy to open up and be yourself and give yourself to others in relationship. Vulnerability and caring go together. The weakness and the strength are part of the same sides, of the two sides of the same coin. That we've got to give to each other, and then we've got to also find the, the openness and the welcome to be ourselves in the midst of that community. And it's scary. It takes risk. Second, this kind of community can be messy. Might lead us to think things about ourselves that we didn't want to think about. We may be sadder when we lose someone close to us because we were so much closer to them. We may have to slow down and invest time in one another. And yes, we might have to have rules like a no-farting rule. Because community is messy. When we get real with each other, we find out things we might not want to know about each other. Community can be uneasy, dirty, slow, and downright frustrating. And third, I think people who are weak or who are different play a critical role in community. The weaker ones have so much to teach us. So much of us, uh, so much about what we do, we want to pretend with each other. But when we're around somebody who's weak, who has a disability, who's very different than us, they, they sort of reflect back on us where we are weak. And they challenge us to be the best and most compassionate versions of ourselves. 
I don't mean to over-romanticize or to downplay the challenge of living with people who are really broken and who really have a lot of challenges. In Daybreak, I got to really see it. I also don't want to apply that I am great at this. So often, I can hide behind my position and my education. I want my ministry to come out of my strengths, my creativity, my energy. But Paul says that God's grace is sufficient and that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. This is scary, to admit your own disabilities, even those that you can easily keep hidden. So we stay busy, we feel important, and we keep ourselves hidden from others. But the problem is when we keep ourselves hidden from others, we end up keeping ourselves hidden from ourselves. We never end up learning who we really are. The only way is to really trust God. And Henry Nowen had a great way to teach this. Henry uh, went on a sabbatical toward, towards, the, towards the end of his life. And he was in Germany and he went to see the circus. And he went and saw and he was totally captivated by the flying rodlays. They were a, a trapeze group. And he was amazed at the amount of teamwork that it took for these, these trapeze artists to fly through the air and then be caught. And so he went to see them a couple times and then finally got to meet them and forged a friendship with them. He even tried the trapeze with safety harnesses. He got really into it. And they, they were talking about how much teamwork it took, but how much trust it really took. And he said, they, they told him, they said, you know, everybody thinks the flyer is the important part, the person that goes flying through the air, you know. But the most important part in the whole team is the catcher. Okay, the catcher is the most important part. The flyer, if the flyer gets nervous, they start reaching, there's no way the catcher is going to be able to catch them. The flyer has to just fly and keep their arms totally straight and trust that that catcher is going to be there and going to catch them. The most important part is the catcher, not the flyer. And Henry said that God is the catcher in our lives, that we can trust him. In fact, life is all the more beautiful when we just go for it. And God will be there to catch us. We can trust him. That's the only way we can get into this kind of community, is to trust God and be ourselves and fling ourselves into the messiness. I'm continuing to process my trip from daybreak, but I'm already beginning to notice a few things. I'm trying to live a little more in the moment, trying to be a little less busy, trying to be a little bit more myself and a little bit more comfortable with who I am, weaknesses and all, and I'm trying to develop deeper community and intimacy in my family and in my relationships. What might God be calling you to do? Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for my trip to daybreak and for the opportunity to bring it back with me. And I pray that you would speak and work and draw us close to you. Help us to trust you. Help us to be a deeper community, we pray. Amen.